today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. An unhealthy, even unholy attachment to this world and the things of this world that has lent itself to this. So they're making those assumptions based on the model that they have. So their hope is not in the rapture, their hope is in this world. Now I'm not fully excusing them. (laughs) That's on them not to excuse it, but to in some way explain it. The Apostle Paul writes that this world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Today, Pastor J.D. reminds us not to become too heavily invested in the things of the world because they can keep us from the expectant joy of the return of Christ and the glory that awaits us. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Titus chapter 2 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. There's a parable in Matthew 24, again, I know familiar to most. It's one of those parables in the Gospels that I have to say has, has really had an impact on my life and my relationship with the Lord in this regard. So in verses 45 through 51, Jesus is going to contrast and compare two servants. And the difference between these two servants is that the good and faithful servant lived his life eager to do good. Why? Because he anticipated that his master could return at any time contrasted with the wicked servant. So let's begin in verse 45, Jesus speaking, teaching. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But, verse 8, suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, Ah, my master's staying away a long time. No worry, no worry. Party on. And he then begins, verse 49, to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. And then it gets pretty intense here in verse 51. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. What's the uh, point of the parable? you got two servants. The good servant 
lives his life eager to do good. Why? For this reason, he knows that his master could return at any time, and when his master does, he wants to be found faithful doing that which his master called him to do, and that which his master entrusted him with. But then you've got this other one. He's like, man, dude, they've been saying the Mass is going to come for how many? My my great, 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 great grandparents thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Actually, that's too many greats. That would have been before Christ. Well, anyway, you can do the math later. He's not coming. I think about Peter in his second epistle. I could spend some time there this morning in anticipation of the teaching today. Peter writes that God is not slow concerning His promise to return, as some consider slowness. In fact, actually in there, he says that it's actually possible to speed His coming. How? Let's get this show on the road. Well, wait a minute, God's sovereign. How are we going to change His timeline? Well, uh, be careful with that. How many times in Scripture, God is sovereign, but the response from man of their own volition can impact the sovereign timeline and will of God. Oh, by the way, you could ask, uh, I think it was Hezekiah about that. I'm probably wrong. You're going to correct me afterwards. That's fine. Where he was given an extra 15 years of life because he cried out to God. And uh, the prophet went to him and said, "Uh, you're going to die. Have a nice afternoon. (laughs) Get your affairs in order, basically is what I told him. And he cries out to God, pleads with God, begs God, and repents. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you 15 more years. Well, wait a minute. That seemingly changes God's timeline. I thought God was sovereign. No, God is sovereign. Well, how then is it possible for us to speed His coming, as Peter writes, two ways. You ready? Share and prayer. What do you mean? Oh, we know from Scripture that when that last soul gets saved, we're out of here. If you're in this church today and you're that, or watching online, by the way, we want to go home, get saved. That last soul is going to get saved. And that trumpet's going to sound. And then we're out of here. So that's where sharing the gospel comes in sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the share part. What about the prayer part? Well, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, which is interesting in and of itself, isn't it interesting that the disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them to preach? Lord, teach us to pray. See, you know, if I was there, I would have asked him to teach me to preach, because I, I can use all the help I can get. Jesus, teach me to preach. <laughs> but they didn't ask him that. They asked him, teach me to pray. Teach us to pray. You know why I believe they asked him to teach them how to pray? is because they saw firsthand the Savior 
pray all the time. And they saw the impact that his prayer had. They saw the power of prayer, where he would go off by himself. How many times in the Gospels do we read of Jesus going off and just praying? Even before he called the disciples, he spent all night praying before he called them. I'll tell you, this is God incarnate, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who while here deemed it so important to pray, how much more should we when it comes to prayer? So he teaches them to pray. We know it well. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's our prayer. He's teaching us to pray. And when he does so, he says, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize that the Lord is telling us and teaching us to pray for His return, for His kingdom to come, and His will to be done? So every time I'm thinking about in Revelation, the chapter verse escapes me, but it's uh, something to the effect of, you know, even so, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come. That's a good prayer. And you know how it is when you're going through a very difficult time. I pray that all the time, but especially when it's a difficult time. Lord, come. You know, before my wife and I were married 33, four years ago now, I probably should know that number, but um, uh, I I didn't want the Lord to come back. It's, It's kind of like, Lord, don't come back until after we get married. And he didn't, obviously, but then we got married, and it's like, okay, Lord, come back now. <laughs> Same thing with kids, you know, Lord, don't, till we, till we have, you know, we couldn't have children, 10 years, infertile. So we found out we're pregnant, we're going to have a son, by faith, we didn't know, but we knew, but we didn't know from the uh, doctors. And it was kind of like, oh Lord, don't come back until after he's born. We took him home after he was born, and we realized that we would never sleep again. And so it was like, Lord, come quickly. It's a good prayer. And by the way, that's how you speed his coming, according to the Apostle Peter. So let's just spend one more minute on this eager to do good based on the expectancy of the Lord's imminent return. It is the ones who live like that that will be the same ones that do good in this, the last hour of human history. And that's the how. This last one that I want to spend the remainder of our time on, and it's in verse 15, And it's that of teaching, encouraging, and even rebuking. Now, this verse is specific to Titus teaching those in Crete and not letting anyone despise him for it, as Paul says here at the end of the verse and chapter. 
But this has profound practical application to our lives. And if you'll hear me out and bear with me, I'll try to explain why that is. Notice in verse 12, where Paul refers to this present age. Now, (laughs) that applies to us today standalone in the sense that we're in this present age, the church age, but we're at the end of the age. Now, how much more should we teach, encourage, and even if need be, rebuke in this present age? Well, what do you mean? How does that apply to waiting for the rapture? Okay. You've got two, let's just for purpose of discussion, say that there's two camps, if you will. In this camp, you have the older people, you know, kind of my age and thereabouts. And we're like, man, the rapture can't come soon enough. But then over here, you have this other camp of young people. And they got their whole lives ahead of them. And so here you are encouraging one another with these words, as we're going to read here in a moment in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And they're looking at you saying, wait a minute, Uh, that's not encouraging. That's actually depressing, because I got my whole life ahead of me. I want to get married and have children and get an education and, you know, start my career and... Wait, did you say you want to have children? Yeah. Oh, that's grandchildren. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. (laughs) Wait a minute, I, I want that too. I want to... Well, because I'm the pastor, I'm going to do my daughter's wedding if the Lord tarries, but I want to walk my daughter down the aisle and see her get married. I want to see my boys grow up and give us grandchildren. That's always the, <laughs> the prerequisite. You must give us grandchildren. <laughs> I want that too. Yeah, but whenever you guys, you guys, talk about the rapture and your soul, that's your hope, and I think, well, I'm kind of hoping to live my life. You know, you guys, of course, at your age, it's kind of like, of course you want the rapture to come. But what about us? I want to address this because I think this is what verse 15 is speaking to. And again, if you'll kindly indulge me, I'll try to communicate this as clearly and as humbly as I possibly can. There are certain assumptions that are made when a young person doesn't hope as much as us for the rapture. It's not really the blessed hope, it's kind of the 
Well, it's the blessed interruption. And I didn't really get a chance to live my life. Well, you're assuming that you're going to have this blessed life. You're assuming that you're going to get married and have children, give us grandchildren, and, you know, start your career and live happily ever after. Okay. First of all, you should say, Lord willing. But you're also making another assumption that we don't share that with you as our children or as a younger person. We want to see you do all that too. Well, what's the difference? Why then do you not feel robbed and we do? I believe it's this. I believe it's because we, the onus is on us, to teach them the truth about the rapture of the church and encourage them to put their hope in the return of Jesus Christ. Now again, stay with me. See, it could be, and I'm, I'm going to be very generic and not specific when I say this, it could very well be that we as adults, as parents certainly, have modeled for the young people an unhealthy, even unholy attachment to this world and the things of this world that has lent itself to this. So they're making those assumptions based on the model that they have. So their hope is not in the rapture, their hope is in this world. Now I'm not fully excusing them, (laughs) that's on them, not to excuse it, but to in some way explain it. So you've got this adult, this parent, that has let go completely of this world, especially now, <laughs> by the way. And it's almost like, I, I'm, you'll forgive me, but this whole thing when it started, it's kind of like God had to pry our fingers and our tight grip on those things that we looked to and indulged in and even could be guilty of idolatry in this world. And he just, I mean, we were holding on so tightly. And then this whole thing hits, and all of a sudden you're going, oh, oh, wow, this just doesn't look good. The outlook doesn't look good. Wow, that's good. Because when the outlook doesn't look good, try the uplook. In other words, <laughs> wait, you, you, oh, wait, let me see if I got this straight. Again, you'll forgive me. I, I don't mean to be snarky, but I kind of do. But So you're saying that you're hoping that everything returns to normal so you can get your life back. Oh, do, you... You want your life back? You want to keep your life? Lose it. And if you're unwilling to 
lose your life, you won't keep it. How about that? You know, there's now, and we've talked about this, but there's talk of, hey, now we're going to start reopening up and, you know, we're going to start, you know, loosening some of the restrictions and you can go to movies again. You can go back into the theaters and listen, maybe I'll just speak for myself. I'm not interested. I'm kind of over it now. I think of that hymn. Again, you'll forgive me if I'm waxing nostalgic here, but I think of that timeless classic hymn, You Can Have This World. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. You can have it. And then that other hymn too. The things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I tell you, when you've tasted of the Lord, you're ruined. When you taste of the Lord and you see that He is good, He ruins you for anything else. I mean, it's ruined for me. <laughs> There's no love loss. Okay, pastor, so what if? Can we just do a what if here? Fine, sure, why not? What if uh, you're wrong? Okay. What if things do go back to normal and you got this whole thing wrong? Well, first of all, I mentioned it in the update. I will humble myself and I will ask for forgiveness if I got this wrong. And things go back to normal. And you know, the pharmaceutical companies have the good of mankind, you know. <clears throat> Sorry, I might have taken that a little bit too far. Okay, cool. You know what that means? Maybe I will do my daughter's wedding. Maybe I will hold my grandchild in my arms. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, got more time to win people to Christ too. Praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? It's win-win. It's win-win. Either way. But we still have this problem here because there's also this rebuke. And as God knows my heart, I wish that word wasn't in verse 15. You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. As you continue to learn from Titus with Pastor J.D., approach each piece of wisdom prayerfully and ask God to show you how you can apply what you learn to your own life. He can and does teach you through His Word, so keep reading, even on your own. If you're not already part of a local church that you can call home, we encourage you to find and begin regularly attending one in your area. And if you're in or near the Kaneohe area, come visit us. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions, to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can also find more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today. 
including his weekly prophecy updates and the ABCs of salvation. This is a simple guide to sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of Titus together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know how we can be doing that for you? Just fill out the contact form that you'll find under the About tab at calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Or come find us on social media. There's a link to our Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube pages on our website. And we encourage you to follow them so you can stay up to date with all that's happening at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe and in spirit and truth. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth, verse-by-verse study of Titus, right here on In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with your way. Holy 